0: Welcome to the Japan Longing Club podcast, a podcast for those who long to travel to Japan and appreciate media, games, and real life culture from Japan and the world beyond. I'm your host Jared, and <laughs> it's been it's been quite a few weeks. I hope that everyone out there is having a decent winter. I don't know, maybe where you are is summer. Uh, <laughs> I hope that you're staying warm if you're in a region close to where I am, and you're bundled up have some good hot tea. I just had some uh, really good peppermint tea. That was nice. Um, no caffeine in that one, but that's okay. Maybe I'll have some coffee later. Lots of coffee this week. Lots of things going on. Um, unfortunately, uh, my my family and I have lost a, another family member, um, so it's been hard to kind of find some inspiration to record. Uh, but I wanted to continue recording and continue covering some <laughs> things going on, um, like the the uh, get prefectured that we usually do. We're going to start a new region today. Um, going to go over an experience that I had with uh, a. Basically, a, a Japan Rail Pass company, um, the travel agency that sells those. So, I had an experience with them that I'd like to share. And, you know, we'll go over our new, not just a new area, but a new prefecture, another travel itinerary, which sounds like it's going to be fun. And a story from the tea house um, based back on, let's see, we haven't done any of these for a little bit, but it was based back on Valentine's. So, uh, that'll be fun to go over too. Also, we got one of the first questions uh in a while to our mailbox, the LonginClub club at gmail.com mailbox. So if you have any questions, they might be read right on the podcast and um yeah, we'll get to that one in just a, a little bit here. Oh, uh, but yeah, I again, I hope that you know everyone's having a, a decent winter and um if that's where you where you're at and you're you're staying warm. Um hope are having a better couple of months than I am. And, and, uh, if you are going through some rough times, just, uh, you know, reach out to your, your some friends, some family, if you can, um, you know, whatever you have to do, take some time for yourself to kind of just, you know, shut off for a little bit and, and maybe play some video games. Um, listen to some good music that you like, watch some of your favorite movies, if you're into that, for some comfort there. Uh, I have been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I started that on on the Nintendo Switch. It's been a really great time. I am definitely past the whole first chapter. Um, I'm surprised by how much I'm enjoying it. For anyone out there who is into some Japanese RPGs, the Xenoblade series is a really good time. I fell in love with the first game I don't know, it was what 10-plus years ago. That was a fantastic experience on the Nintendo Wii. Uh, then um, Xenoblade 2, uh, I didn't really care for as much. That came out about, what, five years ago or so? Um, very different feel. I, I mean, I like anime. You could even say that I, I love anime at some times. Uh, but I did not like the approach that they took to the characters. Um, it was very much different from the first game. And now this third game, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, came out back in the summer. But of course, I was, uh, let's we'll say that I was knee deep in Elden Ring. Um, but Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has been a breath of fresh air for um, storytelling. A little bit of anime here and there, but uh, really awesome story moments where I, I feel like I'm a badass. It's been really cool. So, um, really great cast of characters and the writing are interesting. The concept's really interesting. So, um, there's that and the music always kicks in. It's really good on that note. Uh, let's get to some other things here. I had a unique experience with a, um, website called, uh, it's called J rail pass. Um, so J rail com uh, where you can buy a Japan rail pass. It's one of the, I thought was one of the primary options for purchasing a a rail pass for japan um but it turns out there's a lot more like authorized distributors for rail passes out there than i thought Uh, but this is one that it's i've seen over the years a lot like you you know maybe it's really good seo search engine optimization or something Uh, i don't know but it uh, comes up a number of times and i ordered through them and uh, uh, kind of like a while ago here, and I had ordered through them, um, and they basically the the passes, you know, they're, they're almost guaranteed to come to you in two days. A lot of places out there when you're purchasing these, they say um, two day guarantee delivery or or something like that. Sometimes an extra couple of days. Um, my passes got really close. <laughs> I was tracking them. Um, they got close to me. Uh, they're probably they were out for delivery it seems um they're probably on the way i don't know and then they just never arrived so a few days went by and then you know i contact j rail pass i contact um our postal the postal company that was was being used for these and i had to create like an investigation case um j rail pass had to create a case well after the case and after um about like 10 or 11 emails back and forth uh the the passes were um designated like lost and damaged well actually damaged um and discarded i guess so that's interesting uh and then that finally got back to jrail pass following their their steps that they use and um they they sent out new ones which is cool and that was a a kind of a long experience but i could understand where where it goes because of uh, just having you know, working in customer service a lot over the years. Uh, I can say that one of the only surprising things and recommendation things um, to look into if you're ever looking into a, a rail pass is to, I guess, double check where you're getting the pass from. Um, I've always seen this site advertised. I I do trust it. I had a um, even though the passes got lost, which was not J Rail passes uh fault it was the uh, the carriers the postal carrier's fault um i will say i was surprised that it came through as an international uh transaction and i thought it was because i thought it was from japan but actually it was from let me see here i think it was spain um it says somewhere on here that to do not be uh, alarmed uh as to which country it was coming out from Uh, but I I think it was Spain. So it was really funny that I got like the tracking for this and the, it comes through in Spanish and I'm like, I mean, that's fine. I can just take the tracking number and pop it over into, to the English site. But, um, that was an interesting experience. And if you are living in the United States, um, I can say that after the issue where the passes were lost and then they, once they mailed out the new ones, they only took, um, was three days, uh, it was pre- pretty good customer service. I can say that they are a, a pretty solid recommendation um, if you want to go through them. If you are uh, interested, there's there are other options, and I have some friends that have recently purchased some through, a, a, I think it's like a much smaller company um, that I don't actually have the, the name of in front of me right now. Um, if you do want a list, I can send you some links if you want to reach out to me at the, the loginclub at gmail.com email. But uh, I can I, I can grab that for you. But, yeah, so, you know, 7, 14, or 21-day pass. There's the standard car pass, the green car pass. It's all based off of, like, the value of the yen, it seems, at the time. Um, these prices seem to fluctuate every day. And, uh, yeah, so just, you know, do your research. You can find reviews of these sites out there, too. Um, you know, a lot of times they try to package, like, a... a Pocket Wi-Fi, like a mobile router Wi-Fi, you know something like that. You can do your research on those too. Um, but basically, the, the the rail pass and getting them, you get what you get is an exchange voucher in the mail. And then when you get to Japan, you have to use it within. I think it's like ninety days of receiving the voucher. Uh, you get to um, there's a certain list of train stations and also um, the airports uh, have the ability to, to exchange your voucher and then you choose the day you're going to activate it and then you'll use it for your 7, 14 or 21 days um from the date you choose so you uh it's not like all trains are covered not all subways like subway you know trains and local lines etc not all of them are covered but anything that's like a japan railway um a jr owned train and the uh the buses are typically covered the faster trains um which i think is the dazomi line um i've been looking at a lot of different names lately so i'm sorry if it's the, which one it is um if i forget but there's the uh, faster uh, train lines for the shinkansen bullet train that's not covered with the rail pass But there are other lines um, that follow the same route, and they're just a little bit slower, Um, not much. So you just have to do some research ahead of time. And uh, a good companion um, app or website to use, you know, if you're taking that rail pass is to look at – was it NaviTime? So you can take a look through NaviTime. That's been really helpful. Google maps is helpful too, but NaviTime has a special feature where you can actually select, um, for routes to be shown with the, uh, use of the JR pass. So yeah, anyways, good stuff. Um, but yeah, I told them that I'd uh, give a little shout out based off of the, the positive customer service experience at the end. Um, i'm not going to say it wasn't a little stressful because it was that the passes had been law or the exchange vouchers were lost and uh just like with anything i recommend doing things early um that way if anything does go wrong you'll have time to recover you know through this uh to recover your you know whatever was lost um but yes uh it was resolved so that was great and uh two thumbs up so yeah thank you uh, to Rail pass for pulling through in the end there all right what's next? We're going to get prefectured. Get prefectured, and we're going into the Kansai region. So we had just finished with the Chugoku region, um, and now we are in Kansai. And before I get too far here, I just want to just say real quick that um, all of the prefectures that I've covered up to this point – we're pretty much, you know, I've been pulling from various websites. I, I'm familiar with a lot of the areas and some of, like, the top destinations, um, anything that wasn't really well known. Of course, I was, I was taking notes and kind of compiling. Um, now that we're getting into the Kansai region um, and also along with, uh, if you pair that with a lot of the stuff happening in the, my personal life, I don't have as much time to be able to fully prepare uh as as much detail as this region um can deserve if this was a very in-depth podcast which it's it's just not it's um kind of just giving you some travel ideas uh going over each prefecture and um, what you can do there but once we get into this region for sure uh it's it's like there's just so much um that has happened uh in these areas and there's so many things you can go do a lot of tourism um but yeah so i just wanted to say that I will have some uh, website tabs pulled up and uh, I'll be kind of just reading on the fly. A lot of the times I'm just looking at Japan guide, which is a, in my opinion, an excellent resource. There are tons of sites out there. Um, Gaijin pot, Japan guide, I guess the travel Reddit through Japan is one, um, for japan travel yeah there's just a lot of really great resources but anyways so i will be more or less reading from those as much because if if not it's almost like preparing a a huge massive essay for each time and um Yeah, it's just uh, not really doable with how a lot of things in my life are going with uh, the personal stuff and and a few other things. But I don't want to stop this podcast completely, so I'd rather keep it moving and um, simplify it. Anyways, so the Kansai region, uh, which literally means it's west of the border, which is funny because we've been moving east. (laughs) Um, uh, Should we have started with Hokkaido and worked our way down and, and west? Probably, maybe. I don't know. But Kansai, west of the border Um, because this region is west. It's uh, to the east of the Chugoku region that we just finished. And it was the political center for Japan for hundreds of years, um, which also means that it became a cultural center as well. There are seven prefectures in Kansai. So that's Kyoto, Osaka, Nara, Hyogo, Shiga, Mie, and Wakayama. So these areas... Are so culturally rich that it will be impossible to like cover them fully in depth with like everything you can do. But like I said, we're going to point out the highlights here. So we're going to start with Hyogo Prefecture, um, which it's funny like there's certain prefecture names I feel like I've heard maybe once or twice in my life, but you just don't hear them often. Uh, and Hyogo Prefecture spans from the Sea of Japan. In the north down to the Seto inland Sea in the south so it like goes from coast to coast. Um, the largest city that it has is Kobe um which you've probably heard of in your life uh, Kobe which is also the prefecture capital so that's interesting a lot of the prefectural capitals have been like you know the name of the prefecture like so Hiroshima City, uh, Hiroshima and etc. So a lot of the times they match, but this is one of the, the first or one of the few that we've had so far that has its own different name. Not it's, it's not like it's Hyogo City. I'm sure there's a story behind that. But let's get this pulled up here. So some things that you can do. So we talked about Kobe. Kobe is a very nice like harbor city that a lot of the times you hear about how Kobe was affected by... An earthquake um, in the 90s. So it was 1995. The city had a lot of damage in the Great Hanshin Awaji earthquake, and it killed, unfortunately, over 5,000 people. It destroyed tens of thousands of buildings. Um, I know there's pictures and videos out there that you know pop up once in a while. I mean, it's probably worth looking up just to see like what it what had happened. Uh, but after the disaster, they completely rebuilt and honestly you wouldn't even know uh i've i've been to kobe once um not not for too long it's kind of like a stopping point um which we'll get to for uh to arima onsen but it it's just uh sucks that it happened um that, that many people had died and they, they you know they did rebuild and i just you have no you don't really have a clue when you're there um it's kind of impressive how well it's been rebuilt so Kobe, right, It's the largest city in Hyogo Prefecture. It's one of Japan's like 10 largest cities. Uh, it is pretty big. So it's basically located between the ocean and um, or the sea and uh, the Rokko Mountain Range. So we have that. Has a lot of history as a as a port city, and is one of the first to be opened to, um, for foreign trade, just like Yokohama and Nagasaki. Um, and we talked about Nagasaki in the past, so there's that. On that note, Kobe alone, right? Kobe alone has a lot going on in and around the area. Um, there's so many things you can do. There's the earthquake museum. There is the Shin Kobe Ropeway. Uh, which is like an inclined ropeway that takes you up the mountain. You can get a really pretty view of the, the entire like city, whether it's day or night. Um, what do we got here? We have obviously the famous Kobe beef. Um, Kobe beef. It's like their own local cut or brand of, of Wagyu. Um, it's prized. It's a delicacy. It's basically one of the breeds of, Of wagyu or like japanese cattle um it's known for being fatty it's kind of like marbled a certain way i find that if you don't know how to cook it right it's not anything special um but yeah so it's usually served like shabu shabu style um which is kind of like thin slices of of you you know it can be um it can be beef it can be Pork or whatever, but um, and you put it in hot water to boil it, and you start to get a broth, and you put other vegetables in there, and eventually you have like a soup at the end, and it's, it's really good. Um, so it's a hot pot, and then the other way that a lot of times it's, it's prepared is teppanyaki, uh, which is the closest thing I think you're going to get to a hibachi. Like hibachi's not really a thing um, in Japan as much, but teppanyaki is, where there's like a chef who grills the meat in front of you, um, and then it's served with. I, it, it depends. Like, there's like different kind of salts you can have, um, small different condiments, uh, that kind of thing, but it's expensive. And if you're going to like a, a restaurant like that, it can be, you know, 10,000 yen up to multiple tens of thousands of yen. Um, so it could be a couple hundred dollars depending on the quality of the beef and where you're going and maybe what's served with it. The chef is famous. Uh, if you're going to be near Kobe, Um, there is a, basically like a hot spring resort that is very close by. Um, it is a famous hot spring town called Arima Onsen. And I have been here once. I can't even remember which one, like which, uh, resort I had gone to, but it was really awesome. It was during the day. You could get a massage there. You could, um, go into the bath and then there was like a food hall thing and it was really cool. So yes, that is pretty easily accessible um, from Kobe and it does still have like some natural feel, some natural vibes. It doesn't like, I don't remember that that much. Um, It's a pretty well-developed area now, Um, but it is considered it's one of Japan's oldest hot spring resorts. And it's uh, still considered like a, you know, pretty high end the charts for, for a good hot, you know, hot spring onsen experience town. So there's that there's a number of baths there that you can go check out and if we're gonna move over a little bit here for some other things in hyogo there's another hot spring area completely different direction though um it's called uh kinosaki so kinosaki onsen it uh has this like old legend um about storks and bathing uh, in the marshes like near kinosaki and um but they would bathe there to heal their wounds um so later on in life uh people started building bathhouses there for the uh the natural healing waters and uh, the effects that they can have on your skin so this area has a number of public bathhouses which are called sotoyu and um There's also like beautiful foot baths. There's private baths. Uh, But these there's so many different options. I'm kind of just scrolling through a list right now of all of the different ones you can look at. Um, And there's many more than just like the well-known ones to to research. Um, But yeah, so you can basically freely go between the seven public bathhouses um, with a special pass that you receive from your ryokan. Um, It's very similar to the uh, Shibu Onsen near um, y- Udanaka over in Nagamo prefecture. So we'll get to that someday. Uh, but yeah, um, whereas they give you like a, a key there, it sounds like there's a pass here. And you can walk around in your Yukata outside and, um, you know, have like a, a nice time out. So this area has been up and coming. Uh, well, not up and coming, but... Uh, I've been coming like, kind of like in some of like, the stories I've been hearing. I'm actually going to look this up in real time. Um, cause I feel like there's some owns in town, uh, that's about like tattoo friendly. I don't know if it's this one. Huh. So yeah. Kinosaki, all seven of the town's public hot springs can be entered with tattoos of any shape or size. So that's what I've been hearing. So yeah, that's why this one is so familiar. Um, a sustainable and tattoo-friendly hot spring. Wow. Yeah. So it's been very friendly. So if you do have friends or family that have tattoos and they're worried about going to Japan, um, Kinosaki would be the recommendation. Um, I've kind of had this on the uh, potential trips planned before in the past. And at one point, I was going to be going with someone who had um, tattoos and or has tattoos. And uh, yeah, it was just something that stood out of how um, accepting that this area is. So, glad we looked that up and, and confirmed, <laughs> not the theory, but confirmed the the old memory. What else we got? There are some old castle ruins that you can go see. So, I get confused sometimes between the what this area is called, the Takata um, Castle Ruins, where it's like a, there used to be like a castle here, but now it's just ruins that sometimes seem like they're floating in the sky because of the fog that, that comes through or the, the floating sea of clouds and all that. But there is like that other castle. I can't remember if we've covered it yet, where it's like a castle up in the mountain. It might have been in one of the more recent episodes of the podcast. Um, but what you do is like you can go up an adjacent mountain, um, up a road, and then view it. Um, you know, it's usually like early in the morning uh, when there's some clouds coming through at sunrise, and it can be the most beautiful photo you could ever get. But in this case, um, Takeda Castle is a ruined castle in Asago City. Also in, you know, Hyogo Prefecture, um, kind of known as that castle floating in the sky. Uh, the foggy mornings make it just like a beautiful experience. And then if you're up there, there's just mountain ranges around you. It's very pretty. So it sounds like this was abandoned back in the 1600s and then it disintegrated over time. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. It's just wild that, like, it's, There's still something here. Wonder what it used to look like back in the day. So, um, to get there, looks like we have a train. Right. You can use the rail pass. So you can take the trains to get there. Um, It's located between, it's halfway between the Seto Inland Sea and the Sea of Japan. So kind of right in the middle. Um, 70 kilometers north of Himeji, which we're going to get to in just a second. But you can get there from Kinosaki Onsen, get there from Himeji. And then once you're there, Um, there are some like trails to go up on foot. Uh, there's a taxi, you can rent a car if you really want to, but, uh, yeah, that's like a really cool site, a little more remote, um, kind of, and less, less of something that you ever hear about. Uh, so recommendation, if you're looking for something a bit off of the beaten path, as I said, we're going to talk about Himeji as well. Um, Himeji, let me say that right. It's not Himeji. I always get... It's almost, there's no eye there. Uh, it's Himeji, or Himeji. Uh, it is known for Himeji Castle. Um, this area is basically um, a city that's on one of the stops on the Shinkansen, on the bullet train. So it's about an hour from Osaka and Kyoto. If you are going to to or from Hiroshima, to Osaka and vice versa um, or Kyoto. This is a stop that you can take. Um, it's very pretty. So on that note, one of the most famous castles in Himeji, the city, is Himeji Castle. It's a preserved feudal, feudal castle. Um, it is the one that you see in a lot of pictures. It's colored white. Um, it has the beautiful kind of curved roofs. It's really, really cool. It's also known as the White Heron Castle. And I believe, yeah, this is the one um, that was never destroyed during the war um, or by earthquakes or fires. Uh, It survived all of these natural disasters and it's one of the country's 12 original castles. So that's really neat. And um, it's just been preserved really well. So I guess like getting up to the castle, they kind of made it there's a lot of really good defense. Um, so it's not like it's like a whole maze getting up it, but, uh, it's definitely got its it's walls and stuff and barriers to, to walk through, which is cool. Um, it's really popular during the spring season because of the cherry blossoms. Um, you could have long wait times getting in there and, uh, yeah, it seems to me like it's probably bigger than the, the one in Matsumoto, um, which is a black castle. Um, but it's hard to tell. I've never been there, but I've always heard some good things about it. I'm curious how touristy it actually is. It must be very touristy um, with the long wait times in the spring. So uh, I know that there's a Himeji Castle website that you can go to. And you can, I think there's like a wait time thing on it. I don't know. <laughs> i am recommend it to check that out if you're going to go. Maybe you can get all of your awesome pictures from outside. Speaking of outside, there is a garden right next to it, um, a Japanese style garden called Kokoen Garden. Um, The castle, they call it like borrowed scenery. Like you could take pictures of the castle from the the garden, as far as I understand. Um, But it was constructed relatively recently. Yeah, opened in 1992 um, on the former site of the feudal lord's west residence. Huh. But. Yeah, so you can have some – there's like a little tea thing there, uh, a tea garden, a pine tree garden, bamboo garden. So it's a nice little thing if you have some extra time. Um, right. So it's right next to the castle. From Himeji Station, it's a 20-minute walk or a five-minute bus ride, which is pretty much the same as the castle. So definitely some time. It's a good kind of like – you know stopover spot if you're if you're going from again Hiroshima to Kyoto you could stop there for a few hours i believe there's um lockers there for some of your luggage um, always something to plan ahead and then also in this area from Himeji if you wanted to plan more time there is a temple mountain uh it's the one featured in the film last samurai <laughs> mount shosha so mount shosha or shoshazan right Uh, the site of Ngyoji. Let's see. So it's a temple complex over a thousand years of history located at the edge of Himeji City. So this place just looks pretty. If you look up Mount uh, Shosha online, just take a look. Um, If you've seen Last Samurai, yes, it's a pretty place Uh, because it doesn't have like any city or like modern buildings around it. um, It's used for a lot of movies that need a set, like a historical looking set, um or for dramas, um, TV show dramas and stuff like that. So yeah, that's cool. How do you get there? There's a bus. Okay. So you can take a bus to get there. Awesome. See? This works. Just kind of like learning along with you. (laughs) Um yeah, but yeah. So lots of good things. Pull this up again. You know, working with multiple tabs. But that kind of summarizes Hyogo Prefecture. It's a lot. You could plan between Kobe and Arima Onsen and Himeji Castle, one, to Kiyosaki. You could plan at least, at least a solid two days here. At least. Um, maybe three days. Really depends what you want to see. Like I said, Kobe alone has a lot going on. Uh, you can spend a lot of time there. I could see a good two to three days if you want to. Not everyone stops at Kobe. Not everyone wants to stop at Himeji. It's like you might just be trying to get to your destination. But um, it, it's, I know that these areas typically want more than just you know for people to just stop at these local, um, very popular things. I want you to stay a bit longer. But um, take a look. You know, look it up. Definitely recommend it. We're going to get into a travel itinerary. So let's see which one we're doing today. So this is also on the Japan Travel Reddit, like I've been doing. Um, This particular travel itinerary was done. um, I read like the first two or three sentences, and I stopped there, and I'm like, yeah, I want to read this one. Um, It's by user VORP20. So VORP20 um, wrote the title of this as itinerary feedback for a two-week trip around Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka. Thank you. They literally wrote, thank you, exclamation point. Um, They're very excited, it seems. So let's pull this up from the interwebs and see what it says. Hi. Okay, we'll start that again. Hi, I'm losing my voice. (laughs) Hi, uh, Reddit Japan Travel. I will be traveling to Japan for the first time, and was looking for advice on the tentative itinerary I have planned. Is it too rushed, or does it sound about right for a mid-20s couple who would like to have... Romantic relaxation on some days, but hit the ground running on other days. That's where I stopped earlier and I was like, heck yeah, I want to see what this is all about. Romantic couple going through Japan. Hectic days, slow days. Love. Anyways, him coming from the US. After airfare, my budget is at about $4,000 for two people. I will have a JR pass. Trip will likely be December 3rd through December 17th. Advice on this timing is welcome to. Okay. $4,000 for two people, assuming, all right, the airfare has been paid for. Apparently, the JR pass is paid for. 12,3 to 17. What is that, two weeks? Okay. I would say that about $2,000 a person could be done, but let's just see what they're going to do. I am more of a country slash hiking person as opposed to a city person, but feel like Tokyo. Kyoto and Osaka are must because I love Japanese food and hope to be immersed in the modern culture. That said, I also love nature and want to experience the quieter or traditional side of Japanese culture too, which is why I have chosen to hike around Mount Fuji and visit Takayama and Kinosaki Onsen. They mean it as Takavama, but I think they meant Takayama um, and Kinosaki Onsen. And Look at that. We just went over Kinosaki. Please feel free to criticize the pacing of this trip and provide any recommendations for cuts, additions, or replacements. Are there better preserved towns to visit than Takayama? Is there a better onsen to visit? Let's see. Should I try to squeeze in Universal Studios in Osaka? Things I am sad to not include that maybe can be convinced to include Kiso Valley, Valley, Kanazawa, Miyajima, and or Hiroshima and then we have the days listed out. Day one, arrive in Tokyo. Go to Harajuku, Meiji, Jingu Shrine, Shibuya, Dinner in Roppongi, the Tokyo City view for sunset. Okay, let's just think about that day for a second. So day one, arriving in Tokyo. It's always one of those things where that's a lot of stuff on your itinerary already. Um, What time are you getting in, right? Are you getting in early like on like a 5 30 6 a.m flight and you're actually going to have time to do all of this and be super exhausted or you flying in at like three in the afternoon because you won't be able to do all of this maybe they're flying maybe they're true like listening as like the true day one and like day zero was the day that they had arrived who knows day two tokyo um asakusa the Sensoji temple ueno explore ginza Explore Piss Alley. That's funny. Um, it's not always considered that. Uh, but yeah, Explore Piss Alley and Shinjuku. Again, it seems. Maybe they're staying. Oh no, that was Shibuya the day before in here at Juku. Okay. Uh, sure, that sounds about right. Day three, Tokyo. So still in Tokyo. Imperial Palace. Tokyo Metropolitan Office's Observatory. Man, I don't know what these observatories are about, but I'm sure it must be pretty. I mean, I've heard of obviously there's the sky tree, and then there's one that has the new open top roof that you could go find. Huh. Day four day trip to Mount Fuji overnight in Fuji Kawaguchiko Onsen. Okay. So, Lake Kawaguchiko, Fuji-Q Highland, the theme park, Fuji Kawaguchiko Onsen, Konanso. So, to get to Mount Fuji, depending on the area, it will take you probably a couple hours. So if you leave early and get there and Fuji Highland is going to be a long, long time anyway. So depending on what you want to do near or at the lake and then Fujikyu right? Yeah, that depends. You might only have time to do one of those things. And then the onsen, you really want to make sure you have enough time at an onsen to get in, relax, take part in the amenities, um, hit up the bath, get some good food. If they're doing, you know, the, the Kaiseki dinner, get some good food go back in the bath again. That's uh that's recommended day five in the morning. Depart for Takayama, spend the day and night in Takayama, explore the old city and eat in capital letters. Hmm. I'm just trying to think to get over to Takayama. You're going to have to get to, what is it? Niigata, then take a train. So that can take a while, uh, to get over to Takayama from like the Lake Kawaguchiko I'm just trying to, I don't really know, like, the trains north of, like, that area. There's, like, a, there is a train line. There's two ways to do it, as far as I can remember, because I know that if you're coming down from Matsumoto, there's a train line that's kind of, like, above Mount Fuji, and it takes a while to get over to, like, Tokyo. But I don't really, I think that, like, it goes through, like, the train area where you take a different train to get to the, um, Kawaguchi Lake area. So it's like you take a train and then you could either, I guess you could go around one way to get back to a bullet train and then continue towards, what is it? I think it's Niigata. Niigata and then travel north to Takayama or go the opposite direction towards Matsumoto and then somewhere depart down towards or over... That Matsumoto is east. That's right. Matsumoto is east of Takayama. So that's really tough because you'd have to go all the way north and then over and then down on the trains. Um, There's a lot to consider there. I know I'm just kind of rambling, but uh, I've kind of looked at this area a lot. And that would be tough to kind of get over there. I'm curious how long that takes. I'm guessing at least three hours. Um, So that might eat into (laughs) EAT, capital E A T. That might eat into some of your time that day. Um, So you want to make sure you have enough time to maybe do what you want to do, plan it out. But if you're staying overnight, day six, Takayama, a day trip to Shirakawa Go. So Shirakawa Go, I'm not sure if it's been brought up on the podcast before, but um, you could take a bus. I think it's like between one and two hours to get to it by bus from Takayama, maybe a little less than that. But you get there, and it's like the the famous pictures of like the traditional thatched roofs, and it looks really pretty in the snow time, snow um, in the winter time. It looks pretty year round. Um, but yeah, Go has like some shops and some places to explore. It's just a really pretty. It's kind of remote. I don't really know how popular. Um, it is like a tourism uh, spot, but it's it pops up a lot for people because it is gorgeous. Um, but then if you're going back to Takayama, maybe you'll have some time at night, be late afternoon. Maybe you could do Shirakawa as like a half day, chunk of the day type of thing. Go back to Takayama and hit up anything else that you might have missed. So that might work out. Day seven. In the morning, depart for Kyoto. Spend the day and night in Kyoto. Okay. So from Takayama to kyoto you're gonna have to go south down to the city and then you got to go over so that's going to be a couple of hours so by the time you're getting to kyoto and if you're going to drop your bags off at the hotel or the machia residence or whatever you're whatever you're doing um you're gonna have to have some time to figure you know to kind of get in and then it will be late morning or early afternoon by that point so to do kiyomizu mizudero temple that'll take a while Explore Gion area, Hokanji Temple Pagoda at sunset. Yeah, I mean, that might be doable, but you might be spending a lot more time at the Kyumizudera and the the shopping street leading up to it, more time than you thought, depending on how busy it is at that time of the year. So you might have a lot of time there and might just make it in time for the sunset. Um, Day 8, Kyoto. Fushimi Inari Taisha, lunch at Nishiki Market, dinner, and Pantojo Alley night stroll. Fushimi Inari is a little bit of a distance away from Nishiki Market. But if you do it right, it is on the same kind of side of the city. Um, yeah, probably be able to pull that off. Day nine, Kyoto again. Arashiyama Bamboo Grove. Monkey Park, because there is one near it or next to it. The Sanazaka to Ninazaka. See, I thought the Sanazaka was the shopping street um, up to whatever it's called. Uh, Kimizidera Temple, but I could be wrong. But yeah, if you're going to go over to that area, um, Arashiyama, Bamboo Grove, Monkey Park, that makes sense. There are other little temples and, and things to do over there. Um, a lot of people leave and they don't actually spend the time in Kyoto to, at the, the Bamboo Grove areas specifically, and they miss out on things. But Sanenzaka to Ninenzaka. I'm going to look that up real quick. So yeah, Sanenzaka or Sanezaka. Yes, that is the shopping street alleyways they're talking about. And then what is Ninenzaka? Like, where is Ninanzaka? Let's see. 150 meter stone paved pedestrian road and tourist attraction, Higashiyamaku, Kyoto. I'm looking at the map, trying to see exactly where the heck that... Oh, yeah, it's in the same area. Oh, I feel silly now. Whatever. Ninzaka and Sarazaka. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're probably going to be... This person's probably going to be staying near Dera or something to be on this part of this, this half of the city because to go all the way to the... um bamboo grove, and then back over. That's a lot. It can be. It's more time consuming than you think. It takes like an hour, hour and a half depending on how you, how much time you take to get over there, what time you leave through the grove. But yeah, then once you get back, um, you should have time. That sounds like it could be doable. Day 10. Day trip to Kinosaki Onsen. Spend the night in Kinosaki Onsen. Explore Onsen Ryokan. Um, yeah, I think it takes a couple of hours to get up to Kinosaki Onsen from Kyoto. Um, get up there Settle in, explore. That sounds like an awesome day. Sounds relaxing, like what you were kind of looking for. Day eleven. In the morning, depart for Osaka. Spend the day and night in Osaka. Osaka Castle. Wait, what is that from Kinosaki? I'm not sure how long exactly it gets to Osaka, but it's gonna be kind of like the same amount of time. It's a couple hours probably. Um Osaka Castle, Guroman Food Tour, Hosenji Yokocho Ali, Dotenburi for dinner, and the Ebisu Bridge. Famous bridge. Not familiar with the food tour. Not as familiar with Yokocho Alley, but I can say that yeah, that sounds um, about a full day. And since it's a really fun place to explore at night, that will be cool to end it where the bridge is. Uh, Day 12. Day trip to Himeji Castle. Tour the castle. We just talked about Himeji Castle. Um, Yeah. That's a cool trip. Spend some extra time. Go to the garden right next to it. Um, Do all that good stuff. Yeah, that could be doable. And it sounds like they're going back to Osaka for the Lions Head Shrine and Shinsekai. Was that street? That's street. The street shopping arcade type area. So day trip to Himeji Castle, then to Osaka, back to Osaka. Lots of time here, and then day fourteen, return to Tokyo and fly home. Thank you for all of the help. I feel like this trip is mostly solid. Except for some timing issues with the Kawaguchiko, the lakes region, Um, getting to Takayama. Sounds like they saw a lot about Takayama and they really wanted to go there. And then they have Kyoto in here. They have that. And then it gets into Osaka. And I think that's worth it, at least for a day or something like that. But then the last two days stand out to me. And I think it's because I would rather recommend they do what they were talking about up above. And I am particular to Hiroshima and um, Miyajima because you could get there on day 12 and you could probably explore Well, you I know you can. You could get there and you could explore. Um, Well, on day 12, they could uh, leave Osaka and then go west and stop at Himeji Castle on the way, like I was saying you could do earlier, get back on the train and get in Hiroshima later in the day. Um, go into that like shopping arcade area, get some um, okonomiyaki at night, the the local foods there, and explore. If you get in early enough, if you don't do the castle, if you get in early enough, you can go and do the um, the Peace Memorial Park if you want. Uh, and then on day thirteen, end the trip, uh, a whole day trip to Miyajima. Highly recommend. It's a beautiful time. But let's see what it said at the top about the questions i also love nature okay hold on so kyoto and osaka and tokyo are musts and i hope to be immersed in the modern culture so you will that said i also love nature and want to experience the quieter or traditional side of japanese culture too which is why i have chosen to hike around mount fuji and visit Takayama and kinosaki onsen so you're getting the traditional culture with the onsen Takayama. that it does have like a modern i'm sorry uh a, a, a more historic feel. It is known as that. Um, and then Mount Fuji gets you into some area, gets you into some nature. Feel free to criticize the pacing, which we already did, and recommendations for cuts, additions, or replacements. So we kind of did that for the days 11 and 12 with uh, Hiroshima. Are there better preserved towns to visit than Takayama? Is there a better onsen to visit? So I've not been to Takayama, but if you're ever planning into that area, there is Magome and Sumago. Hopefully I got those right. Um, the postal towns, um, that famous postal traditional walking route that I just can't remember, <laughs> the Nakasendo Trail. Um, you can hike between two postal towns that I believe are even less touristy or, as I understand, are less touristy than Takayama. And there was like a luggage forwarding service between them. I don't, I'm not sure if that's running right now. But, yeah, you start at one postal town and you can walk for a few hours and get that hiking in. I think that would be maybe a really good idea to look at. You could stay out overnight in one of the other towns before leaving. So, I think that that could be an option um, instead of Takayama. But then they're also using Takayama as a springboard to um, where is it? Right, Shirakawa go. I think that Maybe Takayama is the better option if you're going to go to Shirakawa-go for a day, because if you're going to do Magome and Sumago, I don't know what you would do for that full other day. Like that, that would basically free up your day trip. Like you, I'm not sure if you would really get over to Shirakawa-go if you did Magome and uh, Sumago. I can't remember quite the areas, but they are a distance apart, and the way that all the trains run is not like you can just go very easily between them it's like you have to go back into the city on a different train line north up again um yeah so that's how that goes they had a few other questions are there better preserved towns we did that is there a better onsen to visit um i think after this episode's get prefectured we've learned that kinosaki is a really good time I would recommend, just after my own my own personal vibe check here, I would say that Kinosaki would be more fun to visit than Arima Onsen. Just because I've been to Arima Onsen, like, I don't know. I feel like traditional towns are more fun, like Shibu Onsen and all that. So, um, I'd say go to Kinosaki. And, like, thinking of those areas, I mean, obviously near, um, I guess on that path of where they were going, they have the... Hakone Springs, the hot springs and stuff, but that's like very touristy and very expensive. So yes, Kinosaki, hit that up. Can't really can't really change that. Um maybe with some research could try to find some other ones in those areas, but I would say Kinosaki. Um okay. And things I am sad to not include. Kiso Valley. Isn't Kiso Valley? Now look this up, up too in real time. Where is that? Oh, the Sumago Magome region with the Kiso Valley. No wonder why it was, like, ringing the bells. Yeah, the Nakasendo Trail. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sad to miss. The Kiso Valley. I was getting confused. The Key Peninsula, which we did, in, like, a very early episode of the Japan and Club podcast. So I was like, wait, what? Kiso Key? Yeah. No, go to Kiso Valley. Ask the oh no but then you want to go to This go this is how my brain works with trying to plan anything for japan it's like it goes back and forth between well if you go here you can go and offshoot to here but if you don't go here then you can do all these other things over one or two days then you have to start weighing like what the best option is that sounds pretty basic to say it like that but it can be kind of conflicting if you want to do it all um man oh kanazawa right kanazawa is a little bit it's more on the coast up north there Ah, the famous garden is there, Miyajima or Hiroshima. This is tough. I wish they were staying a few extra days so they could fit in Kanazawa and stuff. If they want to do this a certain way, what could happen is from like, Kyoto they could train it up to Kanazawa and then I'm pretty sure you can get to like Shirakawa-go on like a bus from there and then get down to Takayama. They could plan this a little differently. Um but they'd have to like ax a day somewhere else to pull off going to Kanazawa for a full day. So that gets tricky. And then Kanazawa to the Kiso Valley. I can't quite remember how the trains work for that, but that might be doable too. Just, um, it's usually like you're picking one or the other and to do both is really tough. Uh, anyways, cool, man, I really want to go to the Kiso Valley someday. That would be fun. And then they said something about universal studios, Japan. Instead of, it sounds like they're trying to figure out the last few days and they have Osaka again. And I guess if you're really into that, that'd be fun. It's always that theme park rule. Like if you like theme parks, that might be a blast. I've been there at the time. I wasn't enjoying it as much or the cr- the group of people I was with at the time. They were cool, but not, um, not really into the rides as much. And I wasn't at the time. If I go now, my wife loves theme parks. Um, she used to work at one. So we don't go too often but I think we would have fun. But if you want to weigh that against like the cultural stuff, I mean, the culture is a lot of fun. I'd rather go to the Kiso Valley than go to you know, uh, Universal Studios Japan. Cool. That pretty much covers it. If we were to start scrolling down here what so other people are saying, yeah, time-consuming between Lake Kawaguchi and Takayama, very long time, blah, blah, blah. I think we kind of hit this up pretty right. So let's move on to one or two last segments here as i pull them up so we got prefectured we got a little travel itinerary review we'll do a quick story from the tea house and i we're getting a little long here but i want to i want to read this one just because it's really fun and of course every time i pull up my phone it tends to go away <laughs> from camellia kyoto So grab a bowl of matcha and some Japanese sweets as I read the following story from Camellia Kyoto in tea house in Kyoto. Uh, It's called Rocky love. So this was posted back on probably Valentine's day. Well, the 13th close enough. And I know we're like past that, but as someone told me recently, uh, it's never too early for love. It's never too late for love. We'll just say love's all around us. um, so, Rocky Love, they wrote, Happy Valentine's Day. For those seeking love or thinking about ways to escape it, <laughs> now might be the perfect time to explore Jisho Jinja, or Jishu Jinja, shrine dedicated to love. Ancient love stones, Jishu Jinja, to the north of Kiyomizu-dera's main hall, is one of Japan's most famous love shrines. Independent since 1868, for most of its life, the shrine acted as guardian for Kiyomizu-dera and was known as Jishu Gongen. Likely founded before the Nara period, the shrine was made famous after Emperor Enyu's visit in 972. At Jishu Jinja's heart are the koi uranai the koi uranai no ishi the two love stones half so two love stones half buried 10 meters apart uh, love comes to those who can walk from one stone to the other stone with their eyes closed if you need help in reaching the second stone then love will come with difficulty Research suggests worship of the stones dates to Jomon times. That's like 12,000 to 300 BC. Though it is unknown when the rocks were first placed in the grounds, in Muramachi period, Mandala um, includes them. Wow. So, what this is with these love stones, and you just go to Kiyomizudera and you can find this place pretty easily. I want to go back and find like a souvenir of this. So my joke is, right, they have these rocks, and they have these big ropes kind of like tied around them and you go from one rock to the other and you close your eyes and you have to like get to the other rock and like touch it um without anyone's help no one's assistance and you have to keep your eyes closed if you open your eyes it's bad luck right and love so my joke um my my little story about this is i got married during the pandemic and then a couple of years later, I was early pandemic. Uh, a couple of years later, I was telling a story when we did like a wedding celebration because we had to do this in two parts. Um, so, telling a quick story um, to the our immediate family, we kept it small both times um, for certain reasons there. And we got to uh, we're, we're on a traveling on a bus, we're taking people around to our favorite places locally. And I shared the story of these love stones and. I have done the love stone thing twice in my life, and um, the first time didn't really seem to work. And then uh, my joke was that I had to do the, the love stone challenge two times in my life um, to find a love this good. So yeah, it's worth it. Let's just go with that. Good vibe energy. Uh, if you want more good vibe energy, follow Camellia Tea House on Twitter at Camellia Kyoto for more Japan culture, tea, and history posts. And check out their website, t kyoto.com, for pricing and scheduling. And uh, to be clear, you spell Camellia, C A M E L L I A. And then from the mailbox, got an email, <laughs> finally. <laughs> titled, Japanese Language. And this was sent in from Eugene in New York. So let's see what Eugene had to say. Uh, This one. Here's Eugene's email. And this came back in a couple, uh, well, two weeks ago. Here's the email. Do you know Japanese? You sometimes seem to have challenges with the lack of emphasis in the language. And that's it. That's the email. Um, Do I know Japanese? I don't really know Japanese very well. But I will say this, um, a couple of years ago, more than that, actually, a good handful of years ago, I was starting to study Japanese, learning uh, hiragana and katakana. I started learning a little bit of the grammar, and I didn't get too far. So I think a lot of people get that far and they stop. Um, I had been studying to teach English in Japan with the JET program, the Japanese English teaching program, which did not require like any or much Japanese at all. Um, so I did not know a whole lot and then over the years you know i pick up a little bit on pronunciation of certain words but no i, I do not know japanese that said um over the last few weeks i had been following the abroad in japan channel podcast i think it was the abroad in japan podcast and i found a recommendation from them for a a learning app and i've collected links of like websites over time to various learnings was it tofugu um I had a another one here in an open tab called it says Learn Japanese on the web coscom coscom learn japanese I haven't even used this but it's full of resources but what I have been using from that um uh, podcast recommendation is Human Japanese which I'm loading now on my phone um uh, Human Japanese is a really solid app um now, granted, I'd already studied and memorized hiragana in the past and most of katakana, so it is a bit easier to pick back up. But I am learning things about the language that I didn't know before. I'm learning things about um, certain types of pronunciation. But yeah, on the fly, I'm not really good at reading Japanese. So, you know, if I'm reading a Camila Kyoto post or um, other posts, yeah, I I might not know the pronunciation very well. But the Human Japanese app and this is not an advertisement, um, does teach you certain specific ways of saying the different characters, and it, they start to talk to you about a little bit about the pitch accent stuff ahead of time. Um, haven't really gotten that deep and very basic grammar. And I'm learning things about little pieces of the culture, but really about the, the language um, that I never knew before, ever. Um, and it, it's really cool. So I highly recommend that app. Uh, I do have Duolingo as well, Our good, uh, good old friend from the early episodes of the podcast, Randy, um, included me in like a family plan for the, uh, Duolingo. And that's okay, but it does feel a bit random. And, uh, it's not necessarily the greatest for learning phrasings as far as I can tell. But human Japanese is, is just such a different approach than like a textbook. I think I have like the Nakama, looking at it right now. What is it? The Nakama One Textbook Student Activities Manual. Yeah, that thing is what I started with before. It was good to start, but it just I wasn't getting into it. This app is um, pretty free flowing, but you do also, if you are starting fresh with Japanese, it's like you really have to dedicate the, the time to start learning those language charts. Um, I'm sorry, the the character charts and uh, and and really practice the speaking. And, and um, it's debatable if you need to write them out. But I know on my phone, I've been just kind of, like, using my finger to follow the brushstrokes of the characters. It's been really cool. But anyways, thank you, Eugene, for asking. I'm sorry if my pronunciations are not uh, up, to, up to par for, uh, you know, whatever. But um, hopefully, it's still a good time. And again, thank you for sending that in. So if you want to send me your questions and travel stories, I'm, I'm all here to answer questions and read your travel stories. We, we all know by now that I, I do enjoy reading those. Um, send them to longingclub at gmail.com, and they may or be read on the podcast. So let's wrap this up. Um, probably gonna have another episode out in the next few weeks Uh, appreciate everyone who's still listening and you know following along it's been fun uh follow the podcast online at longing club on twitter you can look for the japan longing club podcast on anchor spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, and anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts and as they say john a and have a good day